Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 181 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with our friend Tom Martin about whether chatbots are still a thing, and if so, how you can use one in your law practice. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, Ruby Receptionists, New Law Business Model, and Smokeball. We appreciate their support, and we'll tell you more about them later in the show. So, Sam, you and I just spent last weekend doing a site visit and planning retreat at the resort where LabCon 1, formerly known as TBD Law, is going to be in August. And we had a really great time at what turned out to be a really amazing space. Yeah, I'm really pleased with the space. It's around a beautiful lake. I've started planning out the morning running routes. It's just going to be great. Oh, and they have great snacks. Indeed. Like the best snacks. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and a nice salt rub in the bathrooms. Yeah, yes. I don't it's know. the little things. It apparently. is the little things. And I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a fantastic venue for LabCon. And if you've been a longtime podcast listener, then you know how central attending a TBD Law event is to really becoming part of our core community to help you build your practice. And if you're interested in attending what would have been TBD Law 4, now known as LabCon at this beautiful resort, you can get on that list by joining our second cohort of the Lawyerist Lab, which launches on August 1st. And you can find out more information about that at lawyerist.com lab. On Lawyerist Lens this week, I'm talking with Kate Didich about computational law, what it is and why it's actually pretty cool. You can find Lawyerist Lens on the front page of Lawyerist and on YouTube. And please subscribe on YouTube so you'll get notified of new episodes and help us out by helping others find the show. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Josh Taylor from Smokeball, and then we'll jump into my conversation with Tom Martin. Hi, I'm Josh Taylor. I work for Smokeball, which is a practice management software end-to-end with billing and reporting, and it is a hybrid cloud-based system. For Smokeball, I am an attorney And I also head up our content marketing and sort of direct our legal content, including our blog and webinars and so forth. So thanks so much for having me, Sam. Yeah, thanks for being with us. So today you and I are going to chat briefly about social media success and what it looks like. And we'll talk about this, first of all, by what is social media success and what does that look like for a lawyer? Yeah, certainly. Um, This comes about actually, uh, Sam, because I had the the privilege of speaking with social media expert Scott Maloof, who, who recently authored an ebook, which uh, you'll give folks the link towards the end of this. But social media success, as he puts it, and and as I like to think of it, it's going to, of course, look different for different types of lawyers, different types of law firms. So really, what we have to do, and through our workbook and, and what Scott has us doing through exercises, is know who you are before you undergo a social media presence. Really know yourself, <laughs> quote unquote, before you undertake this. I mean, success in the social media sphere is going to be brand awareness. You want to sort of get folks thinking about you first and foremost and trusting you. You want to be sort of a thought leader and have your firm be thought of as trustworthy and a thought leader, not only for potential clients. Obviously, Sam, that's we want to get more business through social media presence, but also for other lawyers, because that that's a long play that may gain you uh, referrals down the road. 
um, co-counsel down the road, that kind of thing. It varies. Success, I would say, means that you're trustworthy and you're going to have good word of mouth from what you're putting in social media. So one of the things I notice is that lawyers get spooked easily by ethical concerns when it comes sure. to social media. And, and usually it seems to me like there's an army of straw men waiting outside the room or something. But, right. but what are some of the real ethical considerations for lawyers to keep in mind when posting to social media? Yeah, certainly. A couple come first and foremost through rules for advertising. We're all concerned that anything we do out and about or in the public realm is going to be considered attorney advertising. Uh, you can certainly get out ahead of that. Definitely look at your state's rules on how you, you know, proffer advertising or, or say up front that it's attorney advertising. And you can build that in. Scott has some great exercises for building that in to any platforms that you're on social media wise. And then of course, lawyer client relationship creation. You don't want to be answering specific legal questions for specific individuals via social media. You know, keep your stuff uh, vague and definitely try to avoid making a lawyer-client relationship occur. But don't be scared away from participating. There are wonderful resources out there. Scott's worked on the New York State Bar Association's Social Media Ethics Guidelines Handbook, which is wonderful. So check out the resources that are out there for it. And do you have a couple of things that lawyers ought to try if they're not already doing them who are trying to get their feet wet in social media? Absolutely. So I'll leave your listeners with two big words. The number one is value. So definitely whatever you're posting, make sure it's giving value to your readers. Um, this follows into sort of the 80-20 rule. Only talk about yourself and your firm about 20% of the time at the most, I would say. Um, and we try to follow this rule a little bit with what I do at Smokeball, actually. And then 80% provide real legal value for your clients. The second big word that I'll highlight for, for your listeners is repurpose. If you've written something good, if you see something out there online that you think would be valuable for other people, repurpose it. Throw it across your platforms. Mention friends that have written articles. Again, this is a long play that's going to keep you from having to sit and write everything yourself, uh, but it's also going to be a give and take with the, with the community online. So a couple of things just to try. Repost your friends and colleagues, and then repost stuff that you want to be associated with, good articles uh, written by others. Very cool. So if you'd like to hear more, um, you can download Scott Maloof's white paper and workbook at smokeball.com slash social workbook. And keep an eye out for a future webinar from Scott. You'll find out about it on the Smokeball blog and probably in a future email from Lawyerist. Thanks so much for being with us today, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. Take care. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm the CEO and founder of LawDroid. LawDroid is a chatbot development and consulting company dedicated to the legal industry. Tom, you started LawDroid after TBD1? Is that right? I was actually working on it before then gotcha. a little bit. And then uh, when I attended TBD1, it just all exploded. <laughs> <for me. laughs> cool. Maybe we should start by talking about what are chatbots. If people aren't really clear on what that is, frame it for them. Really simply, uh, chatbots are a computer program that can automate a task or conversation. And it's grown beyond just text now. It's voice, it's Alexa, it's Surrey, and a lot of other applications that make use of it in both text and voice form. So we're thinking, I mean, you would call Siri or Alexa or Cortana or whatever the 
Amazon, the other ones are called, you would call those chatbots as well. Yeah, they are just through, you know, using a voice medium. The thing is, is that I think we, you know, like as lawyers, because I'm a lawyer too, you know, we, we get caught up in, in words a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And so, yeah, we could, you know, talk about the definition of chatbot being just text only or not. But, you know, chatbots, voice bots, virtual assistants, they're all on a spectrum of doing the same thing, which is that automation of a conversation or task. And it started with chatbots, but it's grown to be much more. And I suppose the computer doesn't care if the information comes in voice rather than text, right? It's converting the, the voice to text and then it's processing it and figuring out what it means. And so whether you're typing it or speaking it, it's basically the same thing. That's exactly right. You know, the computer works only in, in code, right? So yeah. everything has to be converted for it to understand it. And so whichever way it comes in is, is fine by the computer. And you can also, you know, extend it to handle different environments. So. so we're talking about digital conversations with a computer, basically. Yeah. And when you boil it down, that sounds really creepy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it could be useful. Yeah. If people aren't aware, like to me, this is a thing where I live, but like chatbots were a massive fad for a while. And it feels like until about six to nine, 12 months ago, they were you know, there was all kinds of news uh, about chatbots and the, the do not pay bot that Joshua Browder, who's been on our podcast that he built, there was a bunch of it. And then, and then it sort of died down, which was good because while things are a fad, you've got all kinds of lawyers building chatbots and everybody building chatbots for gimmicks. And now people are left with a tool and we're figuring out what it can do. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, now that the fad is passed, is the tool holding up? Are people still using it? Oh, definitely. I, I think, you know, I totally agree with, with the fad thing. And I also believe that it's a good thing that it's died down. <laughs> right. Because now it's, it's focusing on business. I mean, it's still great to have fun. But now we're down to the brass tacks of, like, what is useful? Um, what's, a, you know, you, what are use cases for chatbots that make sense and can make companies and law firms more productive, save money, and be more profitable? profitable. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like you, you mentioned big names like Siri and Alexa and Cortana. And obviously those are probably not what we're talking about. We're talking about chatbots that people are able to build themselves to help them get work done or build with assistance, but do on, on their end to get the kind of assistance that they need, right? Yeah. I mean, there's everything from um, build it yourself uh, chatbot platforms like uh, ChatFuel that you could use. But there's also platforms where you can build it yourself with some assistance from coders to make it a little more complex. But chatbots have definitely moved to being useful in, in business contexts so that it could actually make people more money. You have everything from a platform like Drift that thousands of uh, businesses use to market better to website visitors to a platform like Motion.ai, which allows people to make chatbots on the fly with a visual builder. And that got acquired by HubSpot. Hmm. You know, right. this gigantic marketing organization. So that, I think, is probably the prime example of it going into prime time. So the way that you actually see chatbots, I think, or at least the way that I encounter them mostly, is on the front page of a lawyer's website or a legal service. Like I'm thinking about, I know you just did a chatbot for Megan Xavier, the Meganbot on her website. And so when you go to her website, it's like, hey, I'm Meganbot. Do you want to chat with me? I know that you've worked with Aaron Levine, who we've had on the podcast about Hello Divorce. Um, and I know you've worked with Amanda Caffel at the Commons Law Center, who is a TBD Law alumni. Yep. And so uh, obviously your name is out there and I see your chatbots. I'm curious, like, are these basically replacing contact forms or are they doing more than that? And how do you kind of 
how do you make the decision between a chatbot or a form? Because often it feels like that's the trade-off that you're doing. You're you're putting a chatbot into place when it could just be a form, although maybe I'm thinking about that wrong. Well, it, it is more than a form. And to be honest, it's been a spectrum for me too, where I've, I've come to understand it better over time. I think lately I've realized that chatbots on a website, they, they kind of sit in this place between content marketing and the actual form usage. So like, yes, they're used to capture information, but at the same time, they're providing content, building trust and getting people to stick to your site. So it's not just the automation of, of a form. It's also the content. And that might be an artificial way of looking at it, probably the more natural way of looking at it is that, you know, this is like an automated receptionist on your site. Like just like a receptionist would welcome somebody into your firm, tell them a little bit about what you do and give them a thumbnail sketch of the lawyers they might be interacting with. It's the same thing, but online. How do you manage that interaction? Because what I really want to think about today is kind of the user experience that you're offering people with a chat bot. Like, and so what should we be thinking about? Because obviously it can be and sh probably should be way more than just automating a form. It's offering a kind of interaction to people. But sometimes it feels like, I, like to me, I, I sometimes think that a chatbot presents in a similar way to like a phone tree when I call a customer support line. And so I'm not sure that when I see a chatbot window, how, I mean, how do you present that as something that somebody might want to do? And how do you make that a good interaction? And, and maybe how do you, if my perspective on that is common, like how do you get around that? I realize I've just asked like 10 questions that are, that are <laughs> multifaceted, but let's engage with that. Cause that's what I'm kind of curious about is like, how do you actually make this something that people want to do and that they get something valuable out of? So I think the very first thing you have to focus on is setting expectations because that's going to color their interaction with the bot yeah. entirely. And so the first thing you want to do is be clear about what the bot can do and what it can't do. Number one, be clear that it is a bot. You know, you don't want to try to trick people into thinking this is a person and then fairly quickly they're going to discover that it's not and then just be upset that they're, you know, not dealing with a real person. Yeah, because we're not like th these are not artificial humans yet. <laughs> they're they're yeah. clearly not real people. <laughs> they're not real people. And the thing is, is that during the fad, there was this confusion maybe sometimes intentionally so by some people that were trying to pump up the fad that chatbots were really powered by some kind of true artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so people had this wild expectation that they can start chatting with a chatbot about any topic under the sun. You know, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> uh, what's the weather going to be like in 20, you know, 50? Just crazy kinds of questions that you would never expect a, a person to be able to answer you know, I'm glad you brought that up because there really isn't that much AI involved in many chatbots, right? So some of the best chatbots are actually rule-based. Mm -hmm. Rule-based meaning there's a decision tree involved, but it's not like there's a, an AI trying to decide what to do next. It's actually a more an if this, then that kind of a thing. Yeah, so th there's basically two camps that you could design your chatbot for. One camp is rule-based where you, you do design it from the top down, where you're saying, okay, these are the rules. If they answer yes here, then you go to that next question. If you answered no, then the other way. And you have a whole you know logic tree like you're describing mm -hmm. that controls everything. The other camp is a true artificial intelligence where you have deep learning, and the deep learning is used to teach the computer about a specific domain of knowledge. <laughs> and then the chatbot can answer the user's questions without having to be pre-programmed to know the answer. 
And that sounds crazy that you could have a computer essentially answering things that it's never been taught other than, you know, here's the book, read it, figure it out. I assume you have to like, you know, teach that thing with a base of information and then you just let it loose into the world. And I guess the, they usually become racist and snarky at that point. But. <laughs> yeah. And that has happened with Tay Tweets uh, yeah. that Microsoft had out. There's been some some memes about, you know, having your computer use deep learning to read like a thousand scripts and then write a script of its own, you know, but that's what's called end to end deep learning. But it's also been very useful that end to end deep learning, for example, with uh, Google Duplex, when Google had that demo at I.O. where they demonstrated Again, a chatbot. Oh, making making reservations at the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy and eerie. <laughs> <laughs> Very eerie. But to me, it, it was something that was transformative. Like when I heard that, I got so excited about the direction that we're going in and being in the space. So like you might use AI to, I mean, there's obviously everything from full AI where you might feed it your legal documents and your email correspondence and then tell it to start answering questions on your behalf which seems foolish and probably not very effective. But in the middle, there's if you get an answer that you aren't sure what it means, then maybe you punt it to uh, a natural language processor to try and understand what that answer means. Is that like a thing? Yeah, exactly. And so there are purposes for each approach. So, for example, Ross has this uh, research tool where you can drop in a brief and it'll give you an analysis of that brief. And that's more of the deep learning type Mm. of AI. Whereas on PathBot, for example, that I created for Patrick Palace, which is a rule-based system, you have that ask potential new client a series of questions, and then it analyzes their legal issues, but based on rules. And so there's different ways of approaching it. I would say that right now, the safest way for lawyers to do it is to use a rule-based system because it could pretty much solve 95% or more of the legal issues that might come up, but it does so in a way that you've pre-scripted you've written the logic for, and you know how it's going to come out. And you can also say, you know, if I get something surprising, you know, kick it over to somebody who's waiting to answer the question or fold the conversation into an email and send it to the attorney to follow up on, right? Exactly. So if you come to an unknown or some unusual situation, you could always kick it over to a human being. Yeah, I I can imagine doing like, I don't understand that answer. Can you clarify So you try one, you give them one, I'm expecting something like this. You try one more time. And if you still get something that doesn't compute, then you say, hey, can you give me a little bit more description? And I'll send an email to, you know, Patrick Palace and they'll get back to you as soon as they can, which is not a bad user experience, hopefully. Exactly. I mean, it's a hybrid of of what they used to get, which was fill in some static contact form and then cross their fingers and hope that they get a response (laughs) versus they get a lot of value through the chatbot up front, you know, mm-hmm. where it's giving them a ton of information. And then when it comes to those, you know, specific, you know, exceptions where they're, it's not quite sure how to answer, then you can get a live person involved. We need to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll keep talking about how to provide a good user experience through chatbots. So we'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. 
Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists, dedicated to helping you grow your practice one happy caller at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's remote receptionists work in tandem with their innovative technology to answer your calls live with your custom greeting, transfer calls through to you when and where you want, collect new client intake and messages, make follow-up calls, and more. Delighting your callers in English and Spanish, just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. Ruby integrates with Clio, Rocket Matter, and Lexicata, as well as the contacts and calendar on your cell phone to easily integrate into your workflow. Ruby can host your local phone number or provide you with one, giving you the opportunity to make dual use of your phone. Call clients using your office or personal number as you please via the Ruby mobile app. For over 15 years, thousands of attorneys have been turning rings into relationships with Ruby receptionists. To learn more, call 844-715-7829 or visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018. Alexis Neely has been training lawyers on the new law business model she created to build her million-dollar law practice for more than 10 years. Over that time, she saw that some lawyers were hugely and immediately successful with it, and others spun their wheels, never getting anywhere. Just recently, she decided to figure out what made the difference. After reviewing all of her clients' successes and failures, as well as her own, she identified five shifts that were the common denominator among all the lawyers who today have high six- and seven-figure law practices they love. To learn what she discovered and apply it to your life and law practice, go to newlawbusinessmodel.com lawyerist. Hey, one more thing before we get back to the conversation. If you haven't already taken the small firm scorecard and you are a solo or small firm lawyer, do it now at go.lawyerist.com scorecard. Look, you listen to this podcast, so you must know the practice of law is changing in important ways. And sooner or later, you are going to feel the effects of those changes in your practice if you aren't feeling them already. So what's your plan? If you are like most of the lawyers we've met over the years, even if you understand the trends shaping the past, present, and future of law practice, you probably don't have a plan. You may not even be sure where to start. So that's why we put together the Small Firm Scorecard, to help lawyers understand what they need to do to position their firm to be successful in the future. It's a free self-assessment. 50 questions for small firms, 40 for solos. The questions cover your goals, strategy, systems, marketing, client service model, finances, and people and staffing. It only takes about 10 minutes, and at the end, you'll know exactly what you need to work on based on your own assessment of how you're doing on each item. Like I said, it's free, it takes about 10 minutes, and you'll end up with a to-do list to prepare your firm for the future. So take it now at go.lawyerist.com scorecard. Okay, we're back. And I, I think what we just touched on is maybe requires a little bit more discussion because I think chatbots have a high danger of being something that lawyers think of as a time saver for them rather than a better experience for their clients. And so we've mentioned a couple of things that actually improve it. But I mean, when you approach a project to build a chatbot, how do you think about that piece of it? Like actually providing a better experience for the, the visitor to the website or the visitor to the Facebook page or even potentially the caller to the firm than they would get if a human being picked up or if they just filled out a form on the website. I think immediately from using a chatbot, you already have some value that you're offering a customer or client. I mean, number one, it's available 24-7, 365. So when they want to get answers to the questions they have, or they want to learn more about a lawyer's uh, practice, they can do it immediately. They don't have to wait for nine to five to get that kind of answer. That's number one. Number two is that they do get direction and content that could be valuable to them about what the lawyer does, about their specific legal problem, about what action they might have to take on it, and even self-help tools, as is the case with PathBot. So just the medium itself of using a chatbot or a voice bot can provide 
immediate value. Now, the thing is, is that you have to do it right. It is somewhat of an art in how you put together the copy of how you interact with the client or customer. You know, the, the conversation has to be scripted in a way that is welcoming, accessible, friendly. And that's where I think companies like my own bring a lot of value because you don't want some kind of stilted artificial feeling to it for somebody to, to feel that they got value from it. Well, and I suppose I don't think you're advocating, you know, replacing your entire website with a chat bot, right? If, if somebody is the kind of person that still wants to browse around your website and learn on their own, then they can still do that. If they're the kind of person who wants to pick up the phone and call, they'll still do that. What you're really doing is saying, like, if you want to know some answers right now, here's a chatbot that can be responsive right now and might be able to answer some of your questions. And we're going to be really clear about which answers that chatbot can give. And we're going to look for things where we need to kick it out of the system and connect you with a real person. But if you want some service right now, here it is. Definitely. I'm a big fan of having the widest net possible. So uh, whichever channel your potential new client comes to you through, that's the channel that's going to be important to you. But I think chatbots and voice bots, it's, it's another channel that you can add to your net for a broader way of, of capturing website visitors' interest. And the thing is, is that 69% of modern consumers now, they expect some kind of immediate responsiveness from the businesses they do business with. And if you're not giving them that, which I would venture to say that most lawyers are not, then you're going to lose them. You're not going to capture their business. In my podcast with Nicole Abood, we were talking about millennials, obviously, but I don't know, maybe that's not obvious. We were talking about millennials and how expectations are that, I mean, you expect to be able to do something on websites and you expect to be able to do that just about any time you want, right? Facebook is not as lively at one in the morning as it is in the afternoon, but it's still there. Um, you can interact with anything on Facebook. The website is not useless, but most lawyers' websites, uh, most websites, period, most businesses' websites are, are pretty dead even during the day, much less at one o'clock in the morning. If you make a phone call at one o'clock in the morning, you're just going to get a, uh, an answering machine. But a chatbot is a, is a way of helping to make that website come alive. And that's what Nicole was really emphasizing is like, I should be able to log into your website and get information. You know, I should be able to look at my files, my invoices. And maybe if I have questions that I'm curious about, I should be able to interact with your chatbot that can help me figure out the answers to the questions that I might be having. It's, it's a really good point. It's a way to add that functionality to a website that wouldn't have it otherwise. I, I completely agree. I think that websites, the way they are now, for the most part, static websites, it's, it's a 90s paradigm. You know, it's it, it's like just if you build it, they will come to your website. But that hasn't, you know, hasn't been that way for, for many years. But I think a lot of law firms still have that approach. So when you start sitting down with a lawyer and who is interested in having a chatbot, what kinds of questions do you start asking them to figure out what's going to be a good fit for them? So one of the most important things when I have my first meeting and we're looking to work with someone is to really find a good fit because we want to be working with them for the long term. And one of the products we have, which is the marketing bot that you had mentioned with Megan's Vea as an example, it works for firms that have a good deal of volume with people visiting their website. Because what is happening is that they're spending good money, get people to come to their website, and they're leaving money on the table. There are people that are coming to their website and bouncing out because they're not getting that immediate responsiveness. You know, So what this does 
is it adds that on as an additional layer of interaction so that you could capture more of those people that you're paying good money to get to come to your website in the first place. So in a lot of cases, you're talking to somebody who's just looking to add on some more stuff to their website. But like I'm also looking at the Commons Law Center and it looks like their bot is different. It's more about um, do you qualify for our services? And PatBot on Patrick Palace's website looks like it's actually a case assessment maybe designed to replace that first phone call with the law firm. Right. How do you think about, I mean, tell me how you got to that point with them as well. Well, I think having an open mind and really listening. When a client engages you to find out what it is that they really need, like what is going to make their practice better, what's going to help the clients in terms of understanding what they need to do and to get value from the interaction. So with the Commons Law Center, you know, one of the the first issues is, do you qualify for working with us? You know, like, is your is your income in the right range that you would qualify? So that's a lot of phone calls. You know, here, here's the thing, is that the pain point that we solved for was getting tons of phone calls where people just want to know if they qualify. You know, how, yeah. how, <laughs> how tedious would that be? Well, pretty tedious. So having the chatbot be able to answer that question on the fly and have it automated for any time, that takes a big burden off of the office. And office could focus more, you know, actually providing the representation to people that qualify. Another client of ours was the Global Legal Hackathon. And actually, um, Aileen, you know, we had a meeting in Vancouver and she told me, you know, Tom, I'm, we're getting thousands and thousands of inquiries with the same questions over and over again about organizing. Oh, because people who wanted somebody to hack a solution for them. No, no, no. That people that were organizing the Global Legal Hackathon in all the different cities across the world were wondering like, okay, you know, so who's my contact in, at my gotcha. location? Okay. Um, you know, like, how do I apply to form a team? You know, so it was all these like very similar questions that they had, but they were getting bombarded with emails and phone calls. And so as a, you know, as a partner in organizing the Global Legal Hackathon, we created a chatbot to answer all those questions. And it did a, I think it did a, a great job. And it seems the feedback, you know, that I've, that I've gotten from Aileen is that it did. So it, you know, it can help to solve these pain points where you have recurring similar types of inquiries from consumers, but you could also use it for much more. One thing we haven't talked about is potentially using it post-retention so once you already have the client as a automated paralegal. Yeah, say more about that. That's intriguing. Yeah. So another product is a paralegal bot that we've created that can provide information to clients at specific milestones that they have in the case. It can do interviews where it gathers the standard information that you need to open a file. Or when you come to a certain milestone in a case, there are certain questions that naturally come up. And it can ask those questions and get answers and automate document assembly. I suppose you could do a bot that, um, you know, I, I come from a litigation background. I could see myself building a bot that prepares my clients for or does the first step in preparing my client for deposition or... Um, you know, I send out the interrogatories to them and ask them to walk through them and give me their initial answers to those things. I could see myself building a bot that walks them through it in a more engaged way. So I know that they're actually coming to me for the next stage of that work in a better state than like even then if I recorded a video to teach them, I can't count on them watching it or absorbing all of it. And a chatbot might be a better thing for that. Huh. It might be because they, they actually have to 
they have to go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they could cheat with a video where they might say, yeah, I watched it. But if they are going to answer the questions that you have for them and the questions are being asked by a chatbot, you could pepper into that discussion explanations and you know that they're going to get through it because at the end of the day, they either submit that entirety of the interview to you or they don't. Right. Oh, very cool. Tom, any last thoughts about chatbots for lawyers who are curious but haven't really gotten past the stage of, hey, I'm, maybe I want a chatbot? I think if they thought about it, they should give it a second look. You know, I, I know that people have heard about, you know, the fad, they've heard about the hype, but they really should take a second look to see how chatbots can be useful for their practice. Very cool. And if you want to know more about Tom, it's at lawdroid.com. And obviously, we'll stick the link in our show notes. Tom, thanks so much for being with us today and talking about chatbots. Thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, 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 o